Hey everyone, we are back for another episode and yes, another season of Edge of the Couch. We are thrilled to be with you today and are ready to dive headfirst into a new season loaded with topics, ideas, and questions. As you know, we have been sponsored with Jane for the last couple of seasons and we're so excited that they are joining us again for season four. So at the beginning of every episode, we are going to share with you some of our favorite things about Jane. We know that there are a lot of EMR and scheduling programs out there and there's lots of variety to choose from. But we found this program, Jane, that we absolutely love and we think you will too. So let's dive in. Starting out in my private practice, I knew that I needed a program to schedule new clients in. What I know now that I wish I had known then is that Jane's customer service team exists to help make your life easier as you get started with their software. It feels a lot less daunting as a practitioner when you have someone nearby to help. The Jane team is ready and able to help you every step of the way and they want you to know Jane was specifically created to make your life easier. It can feel really big to take this step into a booking software and the team at Jane answers all of your calls and questions. I know that I've leaned on them a lot and especially when I was first using their program. Even though I was just one person, I now had this amazing ally who I knew I could call with all of my questions. Here are a few ways you can lean on Jane's customer support team as you get started in private practice. Right off the bat, we very much recommend scheduling a call with the Jane team. If it's so easy to schedule a call that fits into your clinical calendar and you can always book ahead for a time that works well for you. Demos are for anyone thinking about starting with Jane and are a fantastic way to ask a support team member specific questions about how Jane works. And it can be helpful to come to a demo with a few questions that are specific to how you see yourself using Jane. For example, if you want to take therapy notes for your clients, asking the support team member to go through Jane's charting area. We very highly recommend setting up a new account setup call. Those are designed specifically for Jane newcomers and are meant to help you set up your account and get started. Also, general support calls are great if you have any questions and need a little extra time and attention to go over them. There's a lot more to explore with Jane this season, especially when it comes to talking about support and getting started as a new therapist. We want each of you to be so successful in your practice. So we're going to tell you all about the ways that Jane can help you be a successful independent practitioner. If you want to learn more about Jane, head on over to jane.app slash mental health. From there, you can book your demo or chat with a member of their team about any of those questions you might have. If you've been on the fence about Jane or you know you're ready to get started, just mention Edge of the Couch in your sign-up notes for a one-month grace period to settle in. Okay, let's start season four. Welcome to season four of Edge of the Couch. We are here to create a space to delve into the topics that were either shied away from or dismissed because they were too big, too nuanced, too risky, or too uncomfortable to talk about in school or even supervision. Edge of the Couch is not training or supervision. It is for student therapists, new therapists, and therapists wanting to continue to explore their evolving therapist identities and ways of working. When we are talking about clients, please know we are deeply committed to protecting client confidentiality. We are too passionate therapists and good friends sharing our personal opinions about the therapeutic process. Come join us at the edge of the couch. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Edge of the Couch. I'm Allison McCleary. And I'm Jordan Fickell. We are here with season four and we are so excited. Yeah, I'm doing a dance right now. We've been on break for the last couple of weeks. I guess it's been like eight weeks. It feels Has like. it really been that long? I think so, since we recorded together. Yeah, wow. something like that. Mm-hmm. Nana's like that. 
we've really done a lot of prep for season four. We've had a lot of conversations. We met with our Jane team, which was wonderful. And now we're sitting down to record our very first episode of season four. Can you believe it? I mean, it's funny because it's like sometimes I'm like, of course we are. And then other times it feels like completely surreal Mm -hmm. and bananas. I can't believe people still listen to us and like trust our expertise. It's just, it's so strange. Well, and you're starting your internship. Yes. And we weren't sure that we would continue Edge of the Couch after you started the internship. So we've decided to continue, which is great. Originally, it was like, we'll do this until I go to do internship. You're making it a priority, really. Yeah, I'm choosing Mm -hmm. to prioritize it, which I'm very happy to do. Internship would be great, I'm sure. But I also want to make sure I do things that are fun. And the podcast is so fun. Mm -hmm. What are we calling today's episode? Something around... I don't know what to say next or yeah. what do you say next or um, know what to say. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Exactly. Cause for new therapists, knowing what to say next is one of the major fears <laughs> or worries of a new yeah. therapist that we forget about. I think in uh, later practice that is so yeah. prevalent for new therapists that, you know, they read all the articles and they practice all the questions and really prepare in their minds, maybe even write questions down beforehand. I know that I did Mm -hmm. um, to figure out what they're going to say with clients and kind of pre-planning conversations. Yeah. It's funny too, because I I still think there are moments, though they're quite rare for me where I feel like I don't know what to say, but it doesn't feel as devastating as it did like when I was a new therapist, it felt like so spirally. Like I would like notice my mind blank and then freak out where now when I'm like, huh, I'm not really sure what to say. It just feels much more like, oh, well, I'll figure it out. I'm sure, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, which is interesting. We have these and we're going to share these later, but our go-to phrases mm-hmm. yeah, um, are some of our go-to phrases when we don't know what to say next. I'm able to be in the moment in a way that it felt impossible. It felt completely out of reach for me as a new therapist. And so hopefully today we can share with all of you some new ways of thinking about. Yeah. And then some of the tools or skills that you can use and build for when those moments do happen because they will. Yeah. And really how to like soften to yourself and not not really beat yourself up for that or not um, fall into the pit of thinking I am a imposter and I, I literally have no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. where there's space just to be maybe a bit gentler with oneself. Yeah. I think we should start by talking about how therapy is improv because that was the first note you and I both wrote down. Mm-hmm. What do you mean when you say therapy is improv? Therapy is improv in that you have to be in the moment Yeah, and that you are attuned with what the other person is saying. It's very, you know, the, the number one rule of improv is... Yes, and. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so it's like you go with whatever the other person is saying yes. and you take, you kind of go with the flow into that direction. Yes. Layering on top of whatever they've brought forward. And that is very parallel to how it is as a therapist where you're listening for what the other person is saying. Mm-hmm. And then you go with that rather than, you know, having your agenda and taking a right turn. Yeah which I think can happen if you've written down topics or conversations ahead of time. But also it's about getting out of your head. Totally. Being okay with imperfection because that's a huge piece, I think, around improv too. When I think about like performance improv is that you continue to do it imperfectly. I think too, when we talk about improv, you know, you can spend an hour prepping for each client each week, but you never know what is going to come out of your client's mouth. 
yeah. that you just don't know. Like you can have left your last session with them saying like, I want to talk about my dad next session. And they're five minutes into the dad conversation and they drop a huge bomb that has nothing to do with dad. And when we are sticking, like you're saying, that right turn thing, when we're being like, well, our agenda was da-da-da, instead of just like attuning and naturally flowing, we miss that bomb, right? Or we ignore the bomb or we go like, well, I don't have space for a bomb today. And when we're more into the improv of it, we can just go, whoa, hey, I know we said we'd talk about dad, but like that sounds like kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. I can think about some moments where a client walked into my room and sat down on that couch and then said like the last thing that I thought was ever going to come out of their mouth. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to roll with it. Something that also happens is that you will say, next week we're going to talk about dad. And then you bring up the topic of dad and it completely falls flat. It is not charge or resonant for them anymore. And so then you've planned this whole session to speak about dad and like, Mm -hmm. okay, here are the Mm -hmm. 10 questions I can ask about dad. You know, what was it like to have him in the house? And and what are the three words that you would use to describe him? And then it just is like, I don't want to talk about dad today. Or I want to talk about this other thing. You start asking those questions and it's kind of like a big shrug. Yeah. So what are you going to do now? You know? And here's the thing. Our clients' lives move so fast that from Mm -hmm. week to week, the thing that was so charged seven days ago is just not the thing anymore. And I actually think there's a lot of freedom in that. I don't really prepare for sessions. No. Beyond maybe, you know, termination sessions or or sessions where it's like, hey, we really need to have like this conversation about how much you owe me money or whatever. But from week to week, I'm not – sitting down and really thinking about my session in that way. And it's part of why I think I would really struggle struggle with manualized therapy where it's like this week you do this and next week you do this because what if the client comes in and they got fired from their job? Yeah. I like that there's space in therapy to be to be improvising and open to what comes and that's where I feel really comfortable. But as a new therapist, the improv feels really unsettling or can feel really unsettling. And to me, as a new therapist, being the therapist, being in that role felt like performance. Like it felt like I had a script or that I Mm -hmm. had to come up with a a script, script. that I had to be a certain way, that I also felt like I had to be in control. And so being in improv, I don't know, did you do theater in school, Allison? Yeah, I sure did. I sure did. (laughs) When I was in, because I was a big theater kid, theater and choir, in theater, I was an actor and I got to know my lines and I would know them very well. And I would even have particular inflections I would do with Mm -hmm. each line. And I would think Mm -hmm. through how does this come across? How does the emotion come across? Then we would have an improv unit, right? Where it would be like, okay, we're going to play improv games. Jordan, you come up here. And I would freeze. And that is the same body response that I had sometimes as a new therapist where my mind would go blank, my palms would sweat. I would feel like internally both that I'm failing, grasping desperately for something to say. And Mm. I wonder what that looked like from the outside, but the the felt sense inside is just like a, yeah, frozen. Yeah. Like real fear. Totally. That brain going blank feeling when you're with a client. And then it feels like so amped up because sometimes they're just stressed or they've just told you something really big and you feel this pressure to like not get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and so then the freezing feels like I'm failing them or this is bad, even though probably a lot of the times our clients can't see it, Yeah, which is maybe the benefit of neutral face that we've been practicing. 
So what do we do? Okay, so we're talking about new therapists might be in this freeze space. How do we help them to reframe that? Or what do we do in those moments? I think noticing is the first thing. Like, oh, I'm, yeah, in, I'm in freeze. Like yeah. deer in the headlights situation. Yeah. And then what kind of skills help you in that moment? Well, I think a huge part of my work is process over content, right? So I would – I often just say to clients, like, I'm just really trying to think of what to say next. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I'm really just trying to figure out what to – I'm unsure about what the right question is here, mm-hmm. you know? And and I think that that's a perfectly acceptable thing to do. I do think that I've got some phrases in my pocket, which we can either go into now or we can get to. But I think what has helped me most is fundamentally shifting how I think about therapy, yeah. From being, I have to have, I, the therapist, have to have the right answers and say the right thing to, we are two people and I am just trying to understand what my client is saying. So I think leading with curiosity is huge. Mm-hmm. If we, if I go into a session just like, I want to understand whatever my client is talking about as well as I can. Yeah. Um, that takes a lot of the pressure off because then I can just pop in a reframe or or I, a reflection. I can just pop in a like, tell me more about that. And that can be genuine. And I don't have to have the like flowery, profound answer that maybe I, I feel like I might have tried to have as a new therapist. Yeah, the flowery answer. That's part of the performance aspect too, is that when you feel like an imposter – there's a sense of like stepping into the role of a therapist and what does that mean? What is a therapist supposed to sound like? What words are they supposed to use? That Mm -hmm. sense of like eloquence that you see on TV from therapists or or even see from therapists. I think about Astaire Perel, who I really, I really admire her and she really goes towards the eloquent space. And so a beautiful speaker. If you're listening to her from where should we begin? If you are listening to her do therapy, you might think that that's how you need to show up in order to be yeah. a good therapist. But I think yeah. one thing I want our listeners to take away is that the eloquent eloquent therapists don't necessarily make the best therapists. Yeah. Because going on grand speeches, yeah, so flowery, so yeah, profound. beautiful, yes. That some clients are, it's not going to land. It's either not <laughs> no, the right like, moment or. Okay, well, yeah, they don't care. It doesn't feel relational. It's like, who are you talking to? Now that I relate to my clients as another person versus someone I'm performing for, yes, I don't care as much that I'm not eloquent because I'm just yeah. talking to another person. I'm not, right. I'm not in front of an audience. Yeah, it's a great reminder to listeners. Like our clients don't need that from us. I don't think they don't need us to be able to define these things so perfectly. They just. I mean, most clients just want to be seen and understood. So if we do it messily and we do it in a way that's like, I can't think of that word because word finding is something that I struggle with. Yeah, me too. Eloquence thing, but the like, fuck, what word am I trying to think of right now? And then I say a whole sentence, but can't think of that last word. And I'll throw in like a, one of those, just one of those things, you know, like, Mm because I can't think of the word. Mm -hmm. And clients just roll with it. They go with you. I've been mid-sentence and I've said to clients like, I have no idea where I was going with this. Yeah. Right. Or I'll say to clients, I think I have an idea. It's not fully fleshed out. I'm going to start speaking and I'm going to hope to land there, but we're going to see what happens. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we can just mm-hmm. normalize like mm-hmm. uh, therapy things are really abstract and yeah. metaphor is really abstract. Like the other thing, right, is we're talking about concepts that are not tangible and it's really hard to define some of the things that we're talking about. Yeah. 
know, like loss and grief and sadness and what it feels like to hug someone we have a crush on. Like there are all these things where it's like, how do you describe that? Well, it's Mm -hmm. not not always easy. Well, and you don't have to, right? It's more about what's their experience of it. And the the curiosity is, hey, guess what? You don't have to know everything. Mm -hmm. I actually think not only do you not have to know, but you want to intentionally like in in terms of assumptions, like the only assumption we want to go into therapy with is assuming that we don't know what the client means until we ask. Mm -hmm. So when a client says, I was happy, I was sad, I was nervous, I had a breakdown, I did this, instead of just being like, oh, well, I know what sad means. I think it's always valuable to be like, what do you mean when you say sad? What do you mean when you say breakdown? What do you mean when you say loneliness? Because Mm I can't know what you mean. And that's a great way to fill in, you know, like we're going in that curiosity. I think there's, that's a great way to fill in the, I don't know what to ask, which is just to, to, you know, have the goal of knowing more. Yeah. But not interrogate your clients. You can get into interrogation mode if you are one, thinking about conceptualization, or if you are trying to perform that therapy role, that therapist that imagined therapist role versus leading with curiosity. Like you're asking something that is heart centered of like, I want to know this because I want to know you better. Yes. Rather than like, I'm going to ask this question so that I can see, does this fit in with their childhood somehow? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's different than asking the same exact question, but it's coming from genuinely caring, curious, Mm. like I want to know you more place. When we talk about the split brain of being in therapy, so we're present with the client and we're also kind of hovering above and seeing the session as a whole, there is value in paying attention to like the percentage of questions versus reflections versus, you know, silences and stuff. I mean, again, it's like we don't want to be over analytical, but if you notice that every time you spoke in the last 20 minutes was just a question with no, re- no reflections and no invitations for the client to like be in their body that's interesting. You might want to get some more reflections in there or some more just like, oh my gosh, that was heavies or whatever is the like reflection, right? I think it's an easy trap to fall into, which is just like question, 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 question. Mm. And we're just asking questions. We want to layer, right? We want to like, we want it to be, feel natural. And it often isn't, a natural flow of conversation often isn't just one person one-sided, yeah. just peppering the other person with questions. Mm-hmm. And peppering questions to me comes from a place of scrambling. Anxiety. Yep. 100%. Yes. Paying attention to the the different ways of connecting with a client, being questions and reflecting. And that's why it can be really helpful to record your sessions. 100%. And re-listen and be like, oh, I'm actually asking a lot of questions. Or <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I can hear myself thinking in real time to try to figure out this client. As you have more experience, the conceptualization part comes more naturally to you versus yes. in the beginning. Later. It's really about those basic skills, about going back to the empathy and being in the moment in the conceptualization will be woven over time. You don't have to figure it out in the first couple of sessions. And you can't figure it out. And not exactly. only do you not, you simply cannot get all the information necessary yes. to understand the conceptualization of a client fully. And so there's permission just not even to try, you know, yes. to get it all in three sessions. Yeah. Um, like yeah. Write, write notes afterwards from the things mm-hmm. that you remember from the session mm-hmm. and, and maybe some of your, um, your hypotheses for, you know, your initial conceptualizations, for example. Yeah. One mistake that sometimes comes up for new therapists is thinking that they know the person based on them. So just because they've shared with you some of their basic trauma history does not mean that you know that person or that you know what kind of person that they are. 
I see new therapists do that, encapsulate someone in in this mm-hmm. kind of archetype of this person. Yes. It's just an angry person. It's like, how do you know that? Yeah. Met them. You spent two hours with them. Totally. And that mm-hmm. tells me that they are going too quickly to the conceptualization place versus right. like being with the client and getting to know them and being genuinely curious about who they are. And impacted by what they are saying, mm-hmm. right? So not just like thinking of what you're going to say next, but actually hearing it and and going like, huh. Like I think the the example we gave when you and I were chatting before was when a client says to us, like, I was feeling really – when we ask, what was that like? And then they say, I was feeling really sad. Instead of just following up right away with like, okay, and what was that like? Although that's a great question, is more to be like, wow, okay, that made them sad. And I can sit – I'm sitting in it and hearing that and – now my next question is really guided from a place of like presence with them versus I should just ask another question right away. And again, like I think there's a normal, there's a bit of a normal, like you have to go through it to go through it and listen to some sessions of yourself doing mm. therapy where you're like, yikes. Mm-hmm. I remember listening to some early audios or videos, I think actually they were watching video, which is a thousand times more horrific because then you get to like look at what your face is doing in your hands and stuff anyway. And watching myself like when I didn't know what to say and my questions would be like, so you – like I was like trying <laughs> to formulate yeah, a question. which is totally fine. Totally. But I, but, but now it's like I can just sit and allow, allow the silence to happen and be doing that in my own head. Yeah, right. Just having to like feel like, oh, no, I need to say something immediately. I don't know what to say, so I'm just going to like drag out this question. Right. It took me 35 seconds to ask it. And it's just funny to see how that's shifted. And like, mm-hmm. or or now I think if I did something like that, I think I'd make a joke like, wow, I really didn't know what I was going to ask when I started that question. Mm-hmm. Um, that felt terrifying. Yeah. Like, there was, could not admit when you were new, that when I was a new therapist, that I didn't know what I was doing. I absolutely could not admit it. Very much the performance piece. Don't let mm-hmm. them know that you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't show. I can't know. When really the thinking and the slowing down and allowing what the person is saying to soak in before saying your next thing is part of relating to another person. You're not performing for them. You're relating to them. And that's where we want to aim for connection over expertise, Mm -hmm. which is like realness and authenticity over always knowing what to say perfectly. Um, because not only will you not always know, sometimes you'll like we're saying you'll say the you'll think like oh my god that was beautiful what I just said and the client does not care yeah so you might as well spend your time trying you know and so it's like if I can just make this person feel comforted I can make them feel some degree of safety if I can make them if I can show them that I really want to know that is so much more important than like having the answer yeah. to every question. And what's resonant to them is going to be different what's, than what's resonant to you. I honestly find that the mm-hmm. most resonant things for clients are when you reflect back something that they already know or that they really Great. needed to hear and not you conceptualizing things for them and giving it back to them. I agree. You know, like my therapist tells me that this is related to my childhood and blah, blah, blah. It's yeah. more, more like, oh, it's okay for me to feel sad. Like, exactly. Right. I feel empathy for myself in my sadness. And yeah. that can be something that people take away. Oh. And that they, you know, it's that Maya Angelou quote of like, people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's something so profound and wonderful about when a client already knows it and you just help them see it. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I, I think I said to this clients quite a bit is like, 
it sounds like you already know the answer of what you want to do or -hmm. what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and that there's like a, it's, I didn't, nothing organic or unique came out of my mouth. Yep. It's just me saying like, and mm-hmm. I hear that that's hard based on what you are, how you're describing it. And then there's, you know, that like clicking of like, it is hard, but it's yes. like, they said, I didn't say that. <laughs> right. They described it as hard in, in so many words. And I just put mm-hmm. the label on it. So, mm-hmm. so, in, and that's where you have to be attuned to your client. Cause if I say, oh, it sounds, oh, so it wasn't that bad for you. When the way that they described it is actually hardness and I missed it. Mm-hmm. That can happen when I'm up here in the like, what does this mean? Is it connected to the bigger picture? And what should I say now? Versus like, yeah. oh, you're describing a difficult situation. That sounds difficult. Yes. And I, one of my favorite, I feel like a good therapist moments is oh, when awesome. there will be either the next session or future sessions where people will say something that stuck with me that you said is this. And I'm I like, love I have zero memory saying that, you know, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily say that to them. Sometimes I will, but like, I don't remember saying that. That is, wow, that is eloquent. Huh. That's really good. Yeah. The idea of like when you try to be eloquent, like when you try to go on these big speeches, I would mm-hmm. say that more often than not, you are probably not in the moment. You are probably misattuned to the client because once you're making a speech, they're an audience. Ugh, totally. That's a great way to say it. Although I do every once in a while love a speechy moment. I know you do. Yeah. Every once in a while. I like to do a speech. Usually when the client is being especially hard on themselves. That's almost always the moment where I'm like, I'm going to tell you what my experience of you is. And you don't get to interrupt me for a minute. And then I just, I'm like, my experience of you is this. And when you say that, I am just da da da, you know, and I, and I do will, mm-hmm. but it's intentional monologuing. Well, I wouldn't even say that it's monologuing necessarily other than that you're talking a long time because that is relational. They're not an audience. If you're saying what I see in you yes. is this. The words themselves might look similar to like, this is related to your childhood, blah, blah, blah. But the felt sense is different of like, I am speaking to you. I'm relating to you. I am taking up space in me being a human being, talking about you as you being a human being and showing you that I see you. I'm here with you. Versus like, I'm objectifying you. I'm making a speech so that you can learn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which... There are moments of psychoeducation that feel very scripty. Yes. There are ways in which therapy is improv and uh, ways that it's not. And I think (laughs) psychoed is the the big one that is the outlier here. I agree. Where you do have little speeches there. And in terms of the way that I do therapy, I find that psychoeducation has its place. And it's some of the least alive that therapy can be. The speech, the psychoeducation has to be really tight in order for it to be, yes, short in order for it to resonate at all. So that's one where you might want to practice with a classmate. Like I want to introduce this skill and even then think twice, do I really need to? Or is this me trying to take up space Mm. or trying to take up time? I mean, clients do often, will often ask for a skill. Yeah, which is fine. That's great. Right. Totally. And I think that new therapists can err on the side of like, what skill am I going to teach this week? Yes. Let me yes. read 12 articles about trying to think about yeah. what skill I could teach. Yeah, I agree. I think keeping it short, concise. And I also think, and maybe this is a bit weird, is either saying to your clients, I have a bit of a script that goes with this, so I'm going to sound a bit robotic, or making sure that the way you introduce a skill doesn't sound scripted. 
Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I think if people watched me introduce, say, the cognitive triangle, the cycle of abuse, they wouldn't necessarily know that it was scripted. Yeah. Because I tried to make it sound fluid and I take what they're saying and I pop it in. Right. Exactly. So I'm using their examples. I'm not just being like a generic. So that so it's scripted and the client might not know that. But I think if you're still in that stage of like, this is pretty scripted, you can just say to a client. Mm-hmm. I say that in my assessments all the time. I'll say, I have to read the exact words that are written here the exact same way to everyone that I read them to. So please know that there are going to be some moments where I sound a bit like a robot, mm-hmm. but that's part of it, right? Like we can prep yeah. clients for it. Mm-hmm. And again, that's where we can see moments that might, that could potentially make us seem less connection-y mm-hmm. and we can caveat those. Acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I recently found myself making a speech, and at the end of the speech, realizing it was not, it did not land. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. I can say, like, you didn't need that. I I, just acknowledging. I went on a little bit of a. I got a little excited there, and I went on a little speech. It doesn't. You don't have to be like that. Was the wrong? I don't know. There's a way of acknowledging it and it being kind of a funny moment and owning my enthusiasm, right? Owning exactly. my enthusiasm, wanting to share this, and then also acknowledging, like, oh, maybe this wasn't the right moment for that. It's hard to acknowledge when we've blundered, when mm-hmm. we're new. It feels like it means something about our quality as a therapist, but that we. I promise, the more that you do it. Yeah, And the more times the client goes with you, which I would say 95% of the time the client just roll, can laugh with you, we can say, oh my gosh, wow, I really did a little bit of a speech there. <laughs> I can see that that's not what you really needed right now. Yes, And the client then goes like, oh yeah, totally. And then we can mm-hmm. not take it personally. We can just go like, wow, that was funny. Yeah. I can see myself as a new therapist, like doing that and then seeing that the client, it didn't land, but being like completely unable to acknowledge that with the client. Yes. Because it yeah. felt way too tender. But I, I would really encourage you if you're a new therapist or a student therapist to start practicing those skills with your clients now because they save you so much energy and defensiveness down the road if you just get good at like naming it with your client and mm-hmm. allowing it to not feel personal. A good practice is to ask them, how did that land? What was that like? Yeah, what was that like? How did, how that, did like that land? Me? I felt like I just went on a little bit of a speech there. Does that resonate with you at all? You know? Yeah. And then if they and go like, eh. if they're mm-hmm. like, eh, then you could be like, yeah, I just kind of, you know, I was just my so excited like, to talk about this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that means letting go of control, yeah. letting go of what you think a therapist is supposed to look mm-hmm. like, that sense of perfectionism, mm-hmm. of the shining vision of the elevator blunder. Yes. yes. And instead, remembering that you're two people, what would you say if it was a friend? It's just a funny moment. It doesn't have to be like a failure. It feels like a failure in the moment. No, and it really isn't. Because if we are always conceptualizing the relationship as a practice for our clients and for Mm -hmm. us, Mm -hmm. that then when we do that, when we humanize our like, oh my gosh, I can see that you're not into this. Where am I going with this? I'm Mm going to stop. Let's circle back. It gives permission for the client to do the same thing. Exactly. In in the relationship with you, but in all relationships. Yes. They can say, oh, whoops, I see that I've taken over the floor and this was supposed to be about you. Or, oh my gosh, I'm not listening very well. I'm going to come back. Or I'm not really sure what to say to you right now. That if we can model that to them, when clients appreciate my work with them is in those types of moments. Yeah, exactly. Almost and more. 
more than the like beautiful moments. Totally. I think it also gives them permission to speak back about the ways in which you're showing up, right? Yes. So it's like, you know, you did go on a few speeches to, like the next week, let's say. Yeah, like, yeah, you, know, yeah. you went on another speech today and that didn't really <laughs> resonate. Yeah. yeah. And that they might be more likely to tell you that if you name it first for some 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 of those moments. We're getting deep into the episode. So why don't we talk about some of our go-to phrases when we're not really sure what to say or there isn't like a perfect something there, but we want to make sure that we're responding to the client. What are some of yours? Well, I think right off the bat, I would just remember Rogers, if you're listening. Mm. Just stay Rogerian if you need to, which is just to say back what the client said to you. So if a client says, and then I was feeling so sad, you can just say, you were sad. Yeah. Right? You can just go there with them. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll just go through mine quickly. I have more, but these were the ones that just came up for me. Well, I just wrote that like I sometimes will just say like I'm formulating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just thinking about what I want to ask next. I just say that. Um, but I think something like I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, you know? Yeah. How was that for you? How is that for you? That whatever the situation is. Mm-hmm. One I love, which is very existential, is what is that like to what is it like for you to say that to me right now? Mm-hmm. What was that like to say? And then, what do you mean when you say that? Yeah, those are all the ones that I think help to kind of take me further with a client. I like what you said before we um before we recorded, where you said I'm thinking about multiple things right now, and I'm thinking about which direction I want to go. Yeah, I, I like that. Even if okay, I will do that. Even if I there aren't more than it's not multiple things. Sure. <laughs> You know, just because I think it's it lets a client know that we're really thoughtful and we're thinking. And sometimes it's just, well, sometimes clients can blindside us a bit. And that's when that tends to happen to me is I'm like, okay, I just want to really make sure that I'm, you know, taking us in the direction that makes sense. And then I might even say, where do you want to go with that? Yes. Right. So it's not really on me. But yeah, that is something that I'll say. Or, or I'll say like, this is big and I'm just allowing myself to sit with it for a mm-hmm. second. Mm-hmm. That's not like, oh my God, I'm frozen and I can't think of what to say, even if that's what's happening. But it's just an acknowledgement of like, hmm, we're pausing here together. Yeah. Um, and those are some of mine. Love that. What are some of yours? Um, let's see. I think some of them, these might be repeats, but like what's coming up now? You know, if there's a long pause, yeah. what's coming up now? Mm-hmm. Or you might see someone thinking, right? You see them thinking or feeling, they go internal. What's happening right now? Because it's yeah. hard to know how to bring that in. But to say, I, like, what's happening? Yeah. I'm seeing something. Um, yeah, I'm wondering like, what you're thinking. Wheels I'm yeah. seeing wheels turning. Mm-hmm. What's going on for you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though these are, like, go-to phrases, they still have to be in that improv, like, responding to what the person is doing. So another one is say more, which I really like from Esther Perel. Mm-hmm. Um, I got that from her. Mm-hmm. And that's when somebody might give a one-word answer. That's, like, let's say I, I had a it breakdown. Yes. And so you could do, what did that look like? What did that mean for you? What does breakdown mean for you? How did that feel? But you could also do, say more. Yeah, beautiful. When clients give you one word answers or short (laughs) answers to a question that you ask, just know that it doesn't mean that you're a bad therapist. It Mm. doesn't mean that it was even the wrong question. It could have nothing to do with you. So also, you don't necessarily have to be like, that was a bad question, unless it was a bad question. Um, How are you feeling in your body right now is one that I will say. If there's maybe a feeling that's happening or even just mm-hmm. checking in, like they just went da 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 with all this content. And so 
I'll take a breath. I'll like yeah. leave a little, I'll take a beat, leave some space mm. and then say, how are you feeling in your body right now? Beautiful. Rather than going into the content. I remember as a new therapist taking one piece of a giant speech that someone gave and try to ask a question based on that just because I wanted to continue the conversation yeah. rather than like, what's my curiosity or like, how do I bring someone back to the emotion? One way of doing that is to say, how are you feeling your body right now? I think that that's a huge piece of knowing what to say next, which is that you go to process over content. Mm-hmm. And that's hard when you're new because it feels like the most important thing is the content of the story. Like it's like you want to ask and then what happened, but actually and then what happened is not necessarily where you want to go. It's so much more valuable to get into what are you feeling as you tell it right now. Mm-hmm. I remember filling a lot of gaps with, and then what happened? Or then what did you say? Or what, and you know. Or say, tell me more of that, about this one piece of what you just yeah. said. Yeah. Yes. And it's like, that's not, it fills the gap, sure. And it's not inherently bad. I just think as I've become a more skilled therapist, I've gotten better at like not falling into the content trap. Mm-hmm. Tell me the story. What's the story? Yeah. And I think we should do an episode about that. Let's write that down but, for season four. I think that that would make a really good episode. And then there's also a few that I say, let's say you've gotten to a place and you realize, oh my gosh, we just had a whole conversation. It felt like we came back to the ground and we have 20 minutes left, right? So then it's like, (laughs) now which direction do we go? Then you can ask them, where would you like to go next? Or you can even acknowledge, like, it feels like we've closed this piece Mm -hmm. of work. Where would you like to go next? Mm -hmm. Or you can ask, how is this feeling so far? Yeah. Those are things that you can say when you've kind of touched into a place of... I don't know what direction to go. It feels like a pause. It feels like there's time left. Because that's one piece, I think, for me as a new therapist, where I would have all these topics, these questions that I thought I would ask. You know, I did all this research and did all these trainings. And this is what I'm going to bring into my next session. And then there would be like 40 minutes left at the end of all the things that I thought of beforehand. So then it's like, oh, no, where do I go next? And you don't Mm -hmm. have to know. Totally. And when we reframe our clients as our collaborators, you can put it back at the client's feet together, right? Yeah. It can be a th- the fact that there's 40 minutes left in the session is not inherently just a you problem. It's like both of you can navigate that together. So you can put it between the two of you, name it, look at it together and say, what are we going to do about this? Versus I need to know exactly what to do in this time. Yes. It is more on you than on the client in terms of how to fill time in a session, but you're allowed to bring them in on the planning stages. Mm-hmm. How we're going to mm-hmm. with this. You don't have to know everything. Exactly. And 40 minutes left is an opportunity. Yeah. Right? A client might say, hey, actually, I've been meaning to bring this up for a while, but here, this thing. And then it's like, oh, yeah. I've had this before where there's 10, 15 minutes left and we've gone into something really tender and deep, like a big, maybe an inner child, imaginal exercise, and we've come out and a client might say, you know, I'm actually really tired and I would be okay if the session ended early. Yeah. You know, and it's like, great, we can do that. Of course we can do that, right? So mm-hmm. anyway, but that's because you can name to the client, like we've got this time left. We just did this thing. A lot of this, I think, comes down to just being real with clients. Yeah, acknowledging what's happening in the moment, which feels really scary. Like, oh, we have yeah. we have some time left, you know, rather than being like, ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would caution away from ever being like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Which yeah, is don't, don't say that. Old truth. But I think saying like, I'm not sure where to go from here yeah. or is there a particular direction you want us to go in? 
because it's just not clear to me right now, is naming it in a way that is helpful uh, and also t- gives you off, takes you off the hook of like, I need to immediately know what to do. Yeah. And if they say, I don't know where, where to go next, then mm-hmm. maybe you give them some ideas like, oh, I yeah. could, we could talk more about what your life looks like now. We could talk more about, mm-hmm. you know, you what your parents. Yeah. yeah. This piece about you that I don't know yet. We could talk about your goals for therapy. Let's yeah. clarify that a little bit. It's so interesting now, the more experience that I've got and you get these social scripts, you understand all the different ways that that therapy sessions can go. And then when clients kind of put you on the spot, like I can roll with it. Like I'm good at improv now. Therapy improv, I can can do it. And it's because of experience. So it also will come with time. Yeah, it it really will. I think one last piece I would want to add is that it's okay to not have an answer even to like a direct client question. Mm-hmm. So I think that was something that also I would yeah. be like really flustered by if a client was like, well, what do you know about like narcissistic abusers? Right. What do you know? What do you know? Like, I don't know anything about that really other than like pop called pop psych stuff. Mm. And as a new therapist or, or, you know, what is the CBT skill this or what is the effectiveness of this thing? Or here's this obscure psychology thing that I read. What do you know about it? And as a new therapist, I would really scramble. And yeah. I might even say like, I'm going to go and st- I'm going to look it up for you. And now I'm more just like, I actually don't know about that area. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's something that you're interested in, like maybe we could together yeah. um, look for resources or whatever. But it's so much less like you cannot know everything. Psychology yes. is a massive field. Mm-hmm. Wellness is a massive field. So it's okay to just be like, I actually don't know anything about that. I yeah, I, that I don't. Or like, yeah, I don't have experience mm-hmm. in that. And, and acknowledging that and then maybe going to – Tell me about what's coming up for you around that because yeah. it sometimes it can come out of nowhere. Like, what do you know about narcissism? Oh, Where is that coming bit. from? Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, is there well, someone in your life that you're thinking about who's narcissistic? Like, tell me, tell me about that. And then you can get to the experience, you know, because that's really what they're going. Like, is my experience valid in that, that example? Is my experience with this person valid? Am I being gaslit? Then you can get to the experience of it rather than being like, I know all of this about narcissism. Like you don't have to know all of those things. And I think as a new therapist and a student therapist, it's important to know, to to realize like clients are going to come to you with pop psych stuff. Mm-hmm. They're going to movie or they read an article that was written by like a not psychologist and they're going to ask about it or they're going to bring it up or they're going to say, I read this article. Yeah, I have a clients even print stuff off and bring it in and be yeah. like, I saw this. And it's totally normal because they want to normalize their experience or they read something and think, oh my God, that's me or that's my experience. Or And I think that that's beautiful. I think that's a good thing. But it's, I think if you're not prepared for it, mm. you'll like, ah, instead just be like, okay, I can roll with this. Yeah. How do you want to close? I would like to say to new or baby therapists, student therapists, that you will get better at the improv piece, the more yeah. therapy that you do. Totally. Inevitably, you will get better. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that freezy, scary moments are happening right now. I mean, we didn't even talk about like sometimes we don't freeze. We just like blabble, babber on. Yes. Babylon. Like, well, then we just like fill the space. Mm-hmm. So whatever your, your thing is. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's normal when you don't know what to say to go into something. 
there's kind of two steps, I think. One step is like reframing and changing the way that you think about your role as a therapist that will give you more space and more grace just to show up. And then having some like stock answers or stock responses that are meaningful and purposeful and can be used authentically is still very helpful. And something that you build over time, like, you know, you the feeling, the words and how they sound, they resonate in your body. I would say to new therapists to just emphasize the relationship and to, you know, it always goes back to that of of self-compassion, be human and go to the relationship, you know, really getting to know the person that it's not about you. It's not about what you have to say, really. So what do you want to know about this person? How how do you want to get to know them better? How do you want to understand their experience better? And you can just say that, like, I want to, I want to understand your experience. Can you say more about it? And remember, I think, like, place yourself in the in the client, right? Place yourself in that role. Like, if you wanted someone to really know you, would you want them to act like they know everything already? Would you want them to pepper you with questions? Probably not, right? So we can kind of place ourselves in that role as the client, and then it's easier to give the client what most people want, which is just to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. Except, thank you for coming back for season four. Yeah. All right. Well, we will see you next week. So for those of you who are starting school or starting practicum, we are so excited to be um, alongside you in this. So if you have things that are coming up for you that you think other new therapists are going through, some questions that you have, feel free to email us, connect at edgethecouch.com, DM us, edge of the couch pod on Instagram, because we would really like to hear from you what your experience is like. If you want some more of us, you are welcome to join us over on our Patreon page where we put out extra content, exclusive content, and we tend to share a bit juicier, more personal stuff over there. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next week. Hey there, this is Katie from the Jane team. We are overjoyed to be back here with you for the edge of the couch podcast. We see how important the work you do is, and we're here to support you as you learn and grow in your therapist journey. If you're new to Jane, we're a practice management software designed to be helpful to you no matter where or how you practice. We're confident you'll find Jane especially helpful as you get started in private practice. For some of our newest mental health practitioners, it's our online booking that draws them in, a beautifully designed software that makes it easy for clients to book with you meaning less paperwork and more time with your clients. For others, they love Jane's one-on-one telehealth feature because it means they're able to provide consistent care and still meet online with their clients. Our team would love to meet you and hear your story and see if Jane could be the right fit. We'll see you over at jane.app forward slash mental health. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at connect at edgeofthecouch.com to tell us what you think, ask a question, or let us know what type of episode you'd love to hear. You can even send us a voice note for us to play in a future episode. You can support us by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts, sharing the show with a friend, or supporting us on Patreon. Join us next time at The Edge of the Couch.